calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Take 15. My name is Bud Hazlitt, and I'm the head of risk management, derivatives, and alternative investments here at CFA Institute. We're here today talking with Bob Gordon from 21st Securities. Bob, pleasure. Thank you for stopping by. There's a lot of changes that are going on, and one of them is with the estate tax. Could you spend a few minutes going through that? Sure. It's a very odd year, 2010, in that in 2009, the estate tax was 45%. Uh, but that somehow in 2001, when they put in the scale of lowering the estate tax over time, they said that in 2010 there would be no estate tax whatsoever, and that in 2011 it would come roaring back at the same 55% rate it was at in 2001. And I guess they thought Washington would do something and never let this happen. But here we are in the middle to the end of February, and um, still we have no estate tax. Um, but I think that creates some opportunities if you believe that this is really a void that we may be in for quite some time. And how could people take advantage of this? Well, I think that from what I'm hearing in Washington, that they, they would like to fix the estate tax law and make sure that, let's say, it's the same as it was in 2009, a 45% estate tax. But they're uh, concerned because they're saying that when they fix it, they'd like to make it retroactive. And no one really knows whether they could make it retroactive or not. And what I'm hearing from our Washington lobbyists is that if they do fix it this year at all, whether it be in March or June or whatever, that what they're going to do is give people a choice of filing um, an estate tax return like the estate tax was in place, of whatever they put in place, or filing it just like there was no estate tax uh, as there is supposedly is right now. So giving the choice will probably be the best of all worlds. And maybe there's an opportunity to do something now to uh, act within the window that will uh, give you transfer benefits, wealth transfer benefits for, for many generations to come. So it sounds like there's a little bit of free optionality there with uh, what you're saying. Uh, that's exactly right. Right now, um, there is no uh, estate tax, but it also means there's no step up in basis. So there are um, real estate people in New York City with big negative basis in their real estate that if they passed away, all those capital gains taxes would be forgiven, and that real estate not, may not be worth very much today. So in an, uh, an estate tax world with a step-up in basis, they'd have no taxes to pay. If they died today, even though the real estate may have little value because of the recapture, because of the negative basis, they're going to wind up paying capital, giant capital gains taxes. There's a good group of people today they're going to pay more taxes when we don't have an estate tax because they're going to pay a capital gains tax. So it's very interesting the way that's happening. Now, where the opportunity comes from is that um, there's a gift tax when you give money to people. There's a gift tax, but this year it's only 35%. So it's 45% last year, 55% probably next year, maybe 45 but 35% gift taxes are on sale. The second part of it is, who do you like to give the money to? Well, if you gave it to your grandkids, there was something called a, a, a um, generation skipping tax 
that hit you with two estate taxes before you got there. So that the actual tax, let's say next year, if you gave money to your grandkids, would be almost 80%. If you gave it to them now, it would only be 35%. Now the U.S. government, the Congressional Budget Office, their own projected figures are that gifts this year, the same kind of gifts we're talking about, will go from $3 billion last year to $34 billion this year and wow. back down to $3 billion next year because the government sees the fantastic opportunity this is if people start taking this window seriously. And that's really what I'm trying to point out is that it's already February. They haven't fixed it yet. I don't know if they're going to fix it at all. I hear if they do fix it, you're going to have a choice of maybe filing the way the law is now. Uh, and I think that creates a, a great opportunity. And I've heard some ideas from lawyers about ways you could give money to your grandkids, but they could disclaim it later. Uh, and you could sort of reverse things if the law doesn't turn out that way. And I think it's time to focus on that. So even if it is the lower 35% rate, if $30 billion is generated uh, gifting, then that could be a revenue generation for the government? Well, that's exactly it. The government yeah. has scored this as a revenue raiser as it relates to gift tax. They believe they're bringing in $10 billion in gift tax revenue, which is where the $30 billion increase in gifts is, is coming from. Now, no one's done it yet because no one's really focused on where we are. But if there was an announcement made that said the way the estate law and the gift tax law stay today is going to be that way for the rest of 2010, I think you'd see an awful lot of activity trying to take advantage of, of the opportunity. And there's one big trap out there right now that I think people really should be looking at, and that's that a lot of wills are written in a formula basis. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. Um, they say, give my kids as much as I can give them before they get hit with, or we get hit with an estate tax, and then give the rest, whatever's left over, to my wife, because it passes to your wife without an estate tax. Well, that formula made sense when there's an estate tax. If there isn't an estate tax, then all the money would go to the kids and wow. nothing would go to the wife. <laughs> and everybody really has to go out and change their will and figure out what they're going to do. Someone dying today is, definitely has a will in place that's going to have the money go to not where they intended. Wow. Have, has there ever been another time when something as dramatic as that has uh, happened? No, I don't, because the, the wills have always worked off the formulas, and there's always been some estate tax. There's never been just none, and no one expected it to be that way this year either. Uh, I think it's just an odd uh, political landscape we're in that the Democrats and Republicans can't agree on anything, even something like the estate tax. How about any changes in the alternative investment tax structure? Sure. One of the things I see on the horizon that really worries me um, is that uh, hedge fund investing for individual investors has always been thought of as being very tax inefficient. Just because of the strategies that the hedge funds are normally in, throw off short-term gains tax at the maximum rate, or interest thrown off at the maximum rate, or something like convertible arbitrage as a straddle, and everything sort of taxed at that maximum rate. Well, what's going on is that the, uh, Obama's proposal for the taxes for next year, and, and this was both in the Green Book months ago and repeated again recently, uh, is to raise the, the, the tax on short-term gains up to 40%, 39.6. And I think we're all sort of aware of that. What I see is the real uh, hidden uh, problem there is that there's also this concept that uh, the Obama administration has that a deduction shouldn't be worth more to a rich person than it is to the average middle class person. And they believe that the average middle class person is going to pay a tax rate of 28%. And therefore, the proposals are that all deductions are only worth 28%. 
And that includes interest expense. So now let's look at whether it be a margin account or look at your favorite hedge fund. So they're going to borrow a dollar and get to deduct you know, the interest on it. So let's say you're going to deduct the interest of a dollar. You save 28 cents in taxes. It costs you 72 cents. Okay? Now you take that dollar and you make an investment and it's a short-term gain. And it's that dollar is taxed at 40%. So we get to keep 60 cents. So the money I make, I get to keep 60 cents. The money I'm borrowing costs me 72 cents. So I have to earn 120% of my borrowing cost before I break even after tax. Hmm. So I don't know if they're doing it to take leverage out of the system, but it's certainly going to have that effect. Now, in the hedge fund space, it's the leverage that really creates the returns. There was a private ruling that came out uh, the end of 2008 that said in hedge funds that you had to break out the interest cost. That it used to be there was arguments made that if you made 12% before interest and 10% uh, after interest, that you could actually report it on the K-1 as 10% of, of uh, net investment income. Well, this ruling was no, no, no. You have to put on your tax return 12% of income and 2% of interest expense. Well, that today is what's going to wind up costing you a lot of money. Now, when you start talking about the states, it gets even worse. Because let's say for New York State, if you make more than a half a million dollars, half your deductions are thrown away. If you make a million dollars, you get no deductions. So that means in New York State, you're going to be paying a 40% tax federally and a around 11% tax in New York State. Um, meaning that you know you're, you're, you're sort of don't have a whole lot left at the end of the day, uh, yet every dollar of interest expense is going to cost you 72 cents because it's not going to be deductible in the state, and when it is deductible federally, it's only going to be at 28 cents. I find that there's two easy answers to this. One is invest in the offshore fund, which is very counterintuitive because that's something that's called a PFIC. And most people here, they don't want to invest in the PFIC. And the other way to go would be to buy a total return swap on your favorite hedge fund. Because that would let all this stuff net as well. The problem is when you buy that total return swap, you're going to be paying me a commission. You're going to be paying the dealer some kind of a financing spread. And you're going to be taking counterparty risk. Going to the offshore fund, has it's what I would call frictionless. I make nothing. The dealer makes nothing. There's no counterparty. Your hedge fund manager, if you said you wanted to take $10 million out of a U.S. fund and go to the offshore fund, they shouldn't care. It's, they're still managing the same $10 million. But that offshore fund is a blocker corporation, and it blocks the same problems that we're worried about that it does for the U.S. pension plans who invest in that offshore fund. I would argue that almost every U.S. investor uh, should be either investing in the offshore fund or that every onshore fund should just be an investor in the offshore fund. Okay, hmm. Now, the only people that get hurt by this is in an offshore fund, dividends get withheld on and aren't qualifying dividend income. So if you have a lot of qualifying dividend income, that may be one reason to stay with an onshore fund. Um, but even long-term gains can flow through out of an offshore fund if you make what's called the QEF election. So uh, I think there's very few strategies that wouldn't be better off being run in the offshore fund and if you're in a state like Massachusetts or um, New York, uh, I, I think you've got to do it. I don't know if you know in Massachusetts that short-term gains are so un-American that they're taxed at 12% when everything else in Massachusetts is taxed at 6 hmm. The only thing taxed at this 
double rate is short-term gains. Wow. So it's very important. And you know what? Uh, Massachusetts never gave a deduction for interest expense, ever. So when you start cranking in what you think you're making and then actually look at what you are making after tax, hedge funds aren't particularly attractive. Any other issues you see that are important uh, upcoming? You know, there's so much going on. I mean, Roth IRAs, I think, make a lot of sense for people that are, you know, high net worth, high tax bracket investors. And I think the other thing is that the uh, Obama administration has proposed uh, two or three times now that they want to take grats, which now have a two-year minimum, to 10 years. Uh, and I think that because of the low interest rates today, the low asset values today, and the fact that grats still have this minimum two years, that I think if you were ever going to do a grat, this is the time I'd be doing that too. Great. So I think there's a lot to do in the wealth transfer area right now in this window. Excellent. Um, well, that's terrific. Thank you very much. Thanks, I buddy. appreciate all your insights. And thank you for joining us for another episode of Take 15. Copyright 2010, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.